Come on, V1 Church, let's all shout for everybody watching online, our global family, all of our visitors in this packed out 9 a.m. service. You can do better than that. <laughs> all right, thank you, thank you. We have crowd mics, so you're just as much a participant in this as I am. And so if we have crowd mics and you don't do your portion, you're in trouble. I'm speaking into my microphone. Can you do a mic check on yours right now? Oh, that was so terrible. <laughs> we installed crowd mics here and uh, because we want people to experience what's in the room as they're watching at watch parties. We have watch parties outside of Miami, watch parties in Washington State. Matter of fact, I just ministered at a church outside of Seattle, and someone came to me and said, hey, and I said, oh, bless you, you probably love this church, and they said, no, this church is great, but actually, I'm a V1 college student, and I have a watch party in my house, so I'm actually your congregation member, and I was like, really? So isn't it amazing what God's doing? And so today, we kick off three services. Hey, <laughs> we kick off three services today by the looks at our, of our 9 a.m. I think it was a good idea. And uh, because we're kind of out of seats here, we have just enough for you know, somebody to what man spread. Is that what they call it? Um, they do that on the subway. <laughs> but today, if you're watching right now and you live within a, I don't know, should I say 45 mile if you live within a radius of our Long Island location, I want to see you. You still have time to get to our 1030, and you certainly have time to get to our noon. Okay, so I'd love to see you guys at the noon. The noon, I feel like it's going to be off the charts. And then 6 p.m. tonight, no sleep till Brooklyn. <laughs> Last night, my daughters did that. So I have a 7-year-old and a 14-year-old, and, they, and they're like, Dad, you look tired. I'm like, man, I am tired. It's been a long day. And then they looked at each other kind of devious, and they said, no, sleep till Brooklyn. And I was like, get to bed before I whoop you. <laughs> Do you have your Bibles? Yes. We're kicking off a new series called Disciple. Disciple is both a noun and a verb. That means disciple is a thing and it's an action. If you only make it a thing and not an action, you're missing part of God's plan. If you only make it an action without making it a thing, you're also missing part of God's identity for you. And so a disciple is what God has called us to be and also what God has called us to make others. And there's a lot of debate in the church about what discipleship is and how do you do it and whether or not your church does it. Can I just tell you right now, discipleship is not a plan. It's, a, it's actually a culture. And so if you're looking for a church with a discipleship plan, we've got a plan. But the goal of the plan is to create a culture because a plan can never replace a culture, okay? And so discipleship is not, let's go to Starbucks and talk about my problems. That's a bogus counseling session with an untrained counselor, okay? And most of your coffee sessions have never made your life any better. They just made you feel better momentarily. So, you know, people are like, I want to be discipled. And what they're really saying is, I want to go to coffee with you. Well, we got coffee in the back. So 9, 10, 30, and noon, we can disciple you right in the back there if that's what you think discipleship is. But we've got to go back to the Bible because we have a lot of biblically illiterate people criticizing and complaining about what the local church is doing. And so can we just like install what the word of God says about discipleship. Is that cool with you guys? I'm going to move this because you have just such a beautiful grill and it was being covered by the mic. So um, I got you. I'm, I'm... Okay. So 
Um, let's do this. I want you to take notes and lean in. We've got some hungry students that are modeling for you what it looks like to have a church where what was pr- preached on Sunday is discipleship. You know, I, the expectation shouldn't be that we personally hang out. The expectation should be what is Pastor Mike saying that the Lord is giving him for our house and how can I be discipled by that? You know, I say that all the time because the Apostle Paul discipled through the epistles, am I right? He wrote books of the Bible that are still discipling people today. And he spoke to entire regions at a time. Right now, I'm preaching via video in V1, Indiana, in Hobart, Indiana, right now. And so I'm discipling them. And so understand that first and foremost, Sundays is a form of discipleship. But I need your permission to get very real with this message. I need your permission to say some things that could offend you, hurt you even, um, make you disgruntled, make you feel like leaving until you realize that God was all over it. Um, is that, can I do that today? Okay, because here's the thing. There's things that you're saying that the Bible doesn't say. There's things that you believe about what church should be that the Bible doesn't say. But because you went to another church that did it, and you've, or you have a friend who went to a church that did it, you're waiting for us to do it, but I want to do what the Bible says to do. Cool? Okay, so let's rewind. Everybody say rewind. Okay, let's go back 2,000 years ago, and let's look at the culture surrounding what discipleship was in the time that Jesus was making disciples. So let's start with this definition. In the ancient world, a, discipler, a disciple is a follower or an adherent of a teacher. So the disciple is connected to the teacher. You cannot and should not and will not disconnect them and still have a disciple and still have a teacher. Okay, you guys following me? So it's not the same as being a student in modern times. So if we rewind, discipleship was always connected to a teacher, one teacher, okay? And you received from that teacher. But let me take it a step further for your definition. A true disciple is more like what we call an apprentice than what we call a student. Are you guys following me? A true disciple is more like an apprenticeship. Okay, so let's talk about welding. You can read books about welding. You can watch instructional videos about welding. But until you do an apprenticeship where you are doing the welding and your apprentice is watching and making corrections, you will never become a good welder. Does this make sense? Let's talk about carpentry. You can read books about carpentry, right? But until you are apprenticed where they're watching the cuts you're making of lumber, they're watching you place it into the wall, follow the blueprint, and they are making corrections (laughs) Do you hear me? It has to be an apprenticeship. Now, can I burst your bubble? Do you know what's easier than building a house? Talking about building a house. Do you know what's easier than welding? Because these are things that I used to do back in the day when I was a bivocational pastor. You know what's easier than actually welding and putting the mass down and there's sparks flying everywhere? Talking about welding. So the church over the last 2,000 years said, wait a second, you know what's easier than resurrecting the dead? Talking about it. Do you know what's easier than preaching the gospel? Making a class about how to preach the gospel. Do you know what's easier? Come on, do you hear me? Do you know what's easier than laying hands on the sick so that they will recover? Talking about, but then wait a second. 
I'm gonna go, because I really wanna blow up your idea what discipleship is. So now let's take it one step further. We're wounded. Our daddy walked out on us. Our, our mom was neglectful and didn't meet our emotional needs. So then we had, a, over the last 2,000 years, we had this revelation as the body of Christ. You know what's easier than submitting, submitting to a person to be discipled? Just getting information from many people. Because our mom hurt us and neglected us, so we certainly don't want to get into a situation with another woman in the church that could treat us like our mom did. Uh, so we're not going to submit to their leadership. And then, and then our dad neglected us, and we're kind of afraid of men, and that's a bald-headed, bearded man with tattoos, so he's real scary, and he's loud. And so instead of submitting to their discipleship, it's easier to just scroll through YouTube and be discipled by many voices because then when they say something we don't like, we can unsubscribe, which is a lot easier than cutting off a relationship. I told you we're going there. Matthew chapter four, verse one through 11. (laughs) Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and their hands will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan quoted scripture to Jesus. And so if your definition of discipleship is memorizing scripture, Memorizing scripture without obedience to God will make you more like the devil than it did like Jesus. And you got too many people that got real good at Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, but real bad at loving people. Real bad at providing for the needs of the poor and the widow and the orphan amongst them. Really bad at waking up early and serving their local church, but if I scheduled them to preach, they'd be here on time. I told you, I have to blow up a stronghold. Every prophet first tore down and rooted out before they build. So I've got to tear down and root out some bad ideas inside of us because the devil told Jesus, it is written. How many of you have been hurt by pastors who could quote the Bible but couldn't tell you the destiny that God put on your life? I mean, how many of you are hurt by people who, Christian folks that knew the Bible but didn't know the Jesus of the Bible? And so Jesus fights him back with a word. To us, being a student is about how do you get knowledge. None of us signed up for college thinking about the professors. See how quiet it got? Nobody said, hey, I got to look at the professors first. We all thought, oh, I like this university. I like this college. We thought about the institution because that's how we get information. But if you think about the professor, that's how you get impartation. So what happens is we don't understand discipleship because discipleship is always about relationship, but it's always about a leadership structure. Paul understood discipleship. He said, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. And so he was saying, there's a structure. And so yes, I'm discipling you, but it goes on down the line. At V1 Church, it's God as the head of our church, the very cornerstone through Jesus Christ. I'm humbly submitted to his authority. I have a board of directors and advisors that speak into my life. And then under that, you have the care pastors under me. Then under the care pastors, you have the connect group leaders. Then under the connect group leaders, what do you have? 
Come on, alongside of the Connect Group leaders, you have the Dream Team leaders. And all these people have chosen. They said, hey, follow me as I follow Kiel, who follows Mike, who follows Jesus. This is the way the kingdom's always been. But what happens is when you, when you have been wounded, that's what I just said will be the scariest thing you ever do in your life. Because you're like, but I don't like Kiel. No, I'm, can I be real? You'll say, I like that other person better. I like this, I like that, I like this. And our preferences block us from being discipled. And what happens is, I say this all the time, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And so is it the church has a lack of discipleship programming or you have a lack of humility to be discipled? Because when you're ready to be discipled, you realize that God had put Kiel in your life for a reason. God had put some, you get what I'm saying? And so I got to break this down because the kingdom is a kingdom with a king at the top of it. And then from the king, it flows down. That's where you feel power. Everything that you see, the demons obey because you are an ambassador of the king. The king gives you authority and says, hey, use my authority. And so because he's given you authority, it works when you say come out. But not because you have power, but because the king of the kingdom has given you authority. The best way to explain is when my girls are fighting, Bella comes in and says, Everly won't share. Everly's being bad, whatever. And I say, you go tell her, daddy said, put the toys away now. But Everly is not listening to Bella. She's listening to my authority through Bella. Because Did somebody receive this? So when you want a program for discipleship without the structure of kingdom, that's a powerless program. So, so you'll learn more about the Bible, but demons are not going to listen to that. So I'm trying to give you access to the way the kingdom works. This has been really good. Praise God. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse one says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So here's the thing. He was saying, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Everybody always said, it's not about man. It's not about man. Oh, but Listen, he was literally saying, hey, you can't see Christ. He's seated in heavenly places. He's invisible, but you can see me. So act like me because I'm acting like the invisible realm that I see by faith. And so we need human ambassadors that say, I'm not perfect, but I've been empowered and imitate me as I imitate him because the visible is temporary, but the invisible is eternal. Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. This is the leadership structure connected to discipleship. People want to be disciple, but they don't want to pastor. Matter of fact, most people who ask for, for discipleship are actually trying to get out of a covering of a pastor because they want to replace a pastor with a Bible study. But you can't replace a pastor with a Bible study because you have to circumvent God's entire system to do that. The Bible says that he gives to us the gifts for apostleship, to be an apostle, a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist, and what else? And a prophet. And so what happens is we want to skip over this. We want to skip over this, but we've got to go back and say, no, God, I'm never going to ask for a discipleship program without receiving who you've called to pastor me. Can I go a little bit deeper? Yeah. 
Oh gosh, I feel the anointing all over this. I, because I never have pastored in a place worse off than Long Island in this area. And I say that in love because I know many of you have spent years and years toiling in this soil. You've spent years and years building church infrastructures and stuff. But I wanna tell you one of the things that I've heard for years, and I wanna blow that stronghold up right now, is the phrase, I belong to the big C church. No, you don't. So if somebody says, well, where do you go to church? Well, don't you go to V1? Well, I go to V1's 9 a.m. Then I go to this church's 11. Then I go to this church's five. And if I'm lucky, I can catch just this church's seven. And, and I'm, a, I'm a part of the body of Christ. So I'm a, we're all the big C church, right? You know what that sounds like to God? Hey, I've got a ton of relationships. I mean, to fulfill me sexually, yeah, I'm married to Julie, but I have a ton of girlfriends. And that's cool because I have desires. I have needs. See, here's the thing. The Bible says that Christ died for the church and it refers to the church as the bride of Christ. And so if the church is Christ's bride, then why don't you marry the bride instead of dating the bride to meet your own needs? Okay, I can hear you're not convinced because I'm only getting shouted down by the amen corner. <laughs> I want to give you scripture to prove you're not a part of the big C church. I want to prove it with scripture. And I hate that phrase because people who say I'm a part of the big C church and I just go to church everywhere, those people usually are not generous, not with their time, not with their energy, not with their finances. They, and they usually don't have any roots down. And when a big storm comes, how do you survive a storm with shallow roots? And what happens is those people are always looking for an excuse to not commit because they're afraid of interpersonal conflict. They're afraid of disagreeing. They're afraid, but there's a power that flows through unity. Now I wanna show you something in the book of Revelation. We're gonna go real deep right now. Revelation chapter two and chapter three. There are the seven churches of Asia Minor that are given specific rebukes. They're given specific judgments. They're also given, some of them, specific encouragements. So I was reading through Revelation. I thought, how funny it would be, watch this, to the church of Ephesus. This is Revelation chapter two. To the church of Ephesus, I, the Lord, judge you because you've abandoned your first love, Jesus Christ and his teachings. Then it goes on to the next one. This is um, to the church of Smyrna. It says, the church has remained faithful amidst persecution. Can you imagine someone saying, well, you can't judge me, God, because I only go to the 9 a.m. of the church of Ephesus. They left their first love, but I'm at 11. I'm at the church of, I'm at the other church that remains faithful through persecution. I'm the big C church. Can you imagine someone trying to escape the, the, the literal wrath of God by being like, yeah, but there were seven churches in Asia Minor. I just attended all of them, so I can't be held accountable for that. No, Here's the thing, I wonder, and I don't know for sure, I wonder if you're not a part of any of the seven churches of, the, of Asia Minor and you just travel between all of them, I wonder if you're a part of no church at all. <laughs> I know that was one of the rawest moments, but I'm not trying to build a church just off of an audience. I'm trying to build an army. 
And the thing about an army is you know before you join an army that there could be death. You know before you join an army, you're gonna have to get your gun and you're not gonna read a manual about your gun. You're gonna have to load that thing and fire at an enemy. You know that there are real consequences. You know that the training that you're doing is for warfare, not just to talk about it. You know, and so here's the thing. God is raising up an army. You saw last Sunday what happened at V1 Church, completely packed to the gills, front to back. We had a record number of views. God is raising up an army. I think about this. It's like, hey, to the church in Sardis, you're, you're spiritually dead. That's Revelation 3.1. To the church in Philadelphia, the church that patiently endured despite weaknesses. Laodicea, the church with a lukewarm faith. So if each one of these churches got a specific judgment, why do we think that we can be a part of the big C church and just escape all of that? There's gotta be a part of this that says, no, God, I'm gonna go all in. Can I just say this about V1? V1 church was established by people who sold homes people who sold cars, people who moved across country, people who went all in. There's something about this house that demands the respect of saying, God, I don't wanna be lukewarm. I don't wanna be half-hearted. I, I, I don't, I, God, give me 200 strong than 2,000 mediocre, 2,000 whiners, complainers, 2,000 weak-minded people that can be swayed by the opinions of unsaved, lost, dead, demonized people outside here who have an opinion about something they've never seen with their own eyes. I told a guy last night, he was like, I'm thinking about coming to your Brooklyn campus, but I've seen some photos and you have only young people. And I said, well, don't ever judge a church by what you've seen online, whether it's good or bad. Just a little bit of wisdom for you. Cause I got a front row full of people who are retired, but inspired to see the spirit of God poured out among all flesh. I'm like, homie, you didn't scroll deep enough. But I've been to church where everything looks good online, but there's a whole bunch of demons in hiding when you show up in person. Can I give you this last part? This is the last and final part because I'm talking about the cost of discipleship. What is the cost of discipleship? I don't care about church attendance. I don't care about the finances. I don't, none of that stuff matters because the Lord is not gonna look at our profit and loss statement. He's gonna look at the condition of the hearts of those that I discipled. And he's gonna say, Mike, you raised up stingy disciples. You raised, or he's gonna say, you rose up disciples that shake, shook the world with my glory. And he's gonna look at me. I'm gonna stand before him on judgment day. And he's gonna say, why did you only preach half the Bible? I'm gonna, I, he's gonna look at me and say, why did you always act like their schedule mattered more than my schedule, Mike? I put them on the earth for a destiny and I'm not going down like that, y'all. I don't care if nobody likes me. If I end up being a, a voice crying out in the wilderness here on Long Island, I'm gonna say, thus saith the Lord, the kingdom of God is at hand. And cancel everything else and put this first and then he'll add all that other stuff unto you. Woo! <laughs> when we talk about discipleship, we must be talking about a culture. True disciples, they learn habits that carry them through every season. The disciples ask Jesus, how do you pray, Jesus? Come on, if you want a discipleship program, but you've never come up to me outside there and asked me, how do I pray? Maybe you don't want to be discipled. See, sometimes you got to learn how to ask questions and draw it out of your leaders, draw it out of your pastors. You got to become curious. A program will never actually replace curiosity. 
You've gotta be willing to learn and say, Pastor Mike this, you know, find somebody here, learn from the dream team, learn from your connect group leader, learn from care pastors, draw, learn from your brothers and sisters here in the room. But there's a true cost of discipleship that we carry through every season. And it's about how we form these habits that carry us through. You know, I wanna tell you a quick story. When we started this church, actually Megan's here, which is so cool to see her and her husband. And you know, I'm thinking about you guys just in the last, um, I don't know, just in the last couple of weeks because we're, we started this church with roughly 18 people. And at that point, I was able to physically disciple everybody. My wife and I were on Zoom and phone calls and meeting people like day and night, day and night, day and night. Once we broke the 100 barrier, we started to empower leaders to do it on our behalf because that's healthy. That's healthy. That's healthy. That's how you get a pastor that's emotionally healthy and doesn't need to be needed is when they release influence, they release authority, they release people to disciple but, you know, like Matt Lieb is here and I gave him one of my Bibles, my own personal Bible. And I, I led him to Christ over the phone, literally over the phone. His friend called me, Anthony, and said, hey, I got this guy. He's ready to accept Jesus, but I don't know how to do it. And he said, I said, well, I, I, let me coach you up. He's like, no, 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 don't, don't waste your time. He's on the other line. I'll cross him over. <laughs> I said, Anthony, you better pay attention to what I'm doing because you got to be able to do this without me. And so I led Matt to Christ, and he actually, at the time, had told me, do I sit up or lay down? What do I do? And it confused me. I was like, I don't know. Uh, I guess you can lay down while Christ saves you, or you can sit up. I... But the reason why I say that is because this was the early days of our church here. And, and so I was faithful to disciple. Well, we had about 18 people. Number 19 was named Ivan Marty. And I was, at the time, I was living in Indiana and I would fly across country. And as I flew across country, I would do preview services in the movie theater down the street from where we're meeting right now. As a matter of fact, uh, the church, V1 Church, met in a movie theater watching me preach on video every week for months and months before I physically moved here. Right now, I have an Indiana campus doing that in reverse, and they're watching me via video right now from a thousand miles away with live worship and everything, and I'd love for you guys to travel out there one day to see it. But I say that because in this preview service, I met this man named Ivan. And Ivan, the first time I prayed for him, he came up to the altar. I mean, there was literally 20 people in the church and I got this vision from God. It was, it's, uh, it's like a word of knowledge. And I said, man, I see the Bible open. And I actually see light pouring out of the Bible. And I see men seated all around you. And I see you just teaching the Bible to men. And Ivan jumped back. He's like, whoa, you've never met me before. But I just got back from teaching a men's Bible study this morning, and I came over here to check it out. There's no way you could have known that. And he was like, man, you really are a real man of God, aren't you? And I said, I don't know. Ask my wife. She'll tell you whether or not I am. But he, he then began to bond to me. And I, I, it was just one of those things. I said, hey, I'm baptizing people today if you need to be baptized. And he welled up with tears. He's like, I've been wanting to get baptized for years, but I never had a pastor to do it. Never had a church that I could be baptized in. So all of a sudden, I, went, I had this stupid idea to baptize people in the Atlantic Ocean off of Jones Beach. Because I was from the Midwest where there's lakes that don't have big waves. 
So in my mind, I was like, okay, I have a portable church that meets across the country. I'll just take everybody to the ocean and dunk them. It'll be this really cool moment. Then we get there and we start trying to baptize all these people. You know, you guys know Papa Dean. He's a big, beautiful Swedish man. He's six foot three or whatever. And he's bobbing around, floating in the whole ocean. Can't even, we got, we're trying to baptize people. I remember I baptized Sean and I didn't know how to time up the waves and the wave was withdrawing. And when I dropped him down, his head just hit dirt, the sand. So then I just, he looked at me like, did I get baptized? I said, not yet. And I just held him down and the wave rolled over him. And he's like, ah, gargling, came back up. I was like, yeah, you're done. I mean, this is the early days of V1 Church five years ago. And we were getting ready to leave. I was totally exhausted. And all of a sudden, as we got ready to leave, Ivan and Charlene come running because they had driven all the way back to Queens just to get some clothes to get baptized in. And all of a sudden, Ivan came and he's like, I'm ready, pastor. And I, I remember when I baptized him, and his wife, it just felt like holy. Felt like God had separated them and set them apart for something special. So then when I moved here, Ivan said, hey, I, I, you know, I know you're super busy, but I live in Queens. Can we just get together for breakfast once a week? And I wanna be taught the Bible. And at that time, our church was so small. I'm like, yeah, man, like, let's do it. And I met him at this place called Norma's every week for almost two years. And we just spent time over the word and we encouraged each other, iron sharpens iron. And I'll never forget him just saying like, I knew God was gonna bring a church like this to Long Island. I knew he was gonna bring a church like this to my area. I, I just knew it, he was so excited. And he really caught a vision for what V1 was. He really understood. What, it's like God supernaturally gave him a vision and he would bring people every week. Did you know that Ivan never missed a service in four and a half years? Never. And if he was out of town, he would be showing me the live stream. He loved his church. I'll never forget the first Christmas we spent together. Uh, you know, we had our first Christmas services. Ivan came up to me and he had this huge wad of, of singles. And I'm like, Ivan, have you been going to this strip club? What, what is this? You know, because I was teasing him. And he said, no. He goes, I saved my bagel money all year because I wanted, to, I, I wanted to build God's house more than I want bagels now. And he gave me this big stack of singles. He just sewed into this church. He was so generous. And he would bring people every week to church. He was an inviter, always inviting, always bringing. He would bring all these young men. And he knew I was prophetic because that moment that I met him, I was prophetic. And he would bring people to meet me. And he'd say, hey, Pastor Mike, do your thing. Do that thing you do to him. Do it to him. And I would look at them and he would always put a demand on my prophetic gift. And I'd look at people and I'd say, all right, I feel like the Lord's telling me. And then he, then I would say, I told you, did I, did I not, did I not tell you that in the car on the way here? And we had this team. Last week, Ivan passed away. Unexpectedly, he died. It was the most horrifying 11 minute phone call I've ever received from anyone's wife in the history of being a pastor the screams, the horror, the shouting, why God, why, why? 24 hours ago, Ivan's body was right here. I believe there's no other place that he would rather be before the grave than right here at this altar. We had a good time sharing stories together, but that was my disciple who discipled 
disciples. He's a pillar of our church. He had asked me weeks ago, Pastor Mike, can, can you um, meet me again at Norma's? I know you're even busier than you were. And I said, you know, we'll try. I can't commit to every week, but we'll try. Well, he passed away before I got a chance to do that again. And I was so grief stricken. I mean, my whole body, I mean, when I heard that he had passed, my wife will tell you like, I, I physically, something just broke on the inside of me. And all of a sudden, um, grief stricken, I walked down to Norma's. And I was like, God, if I, if I could just meet with him one more time. Because if you guys know me, I love people. I've never been in this for the fame. I've never been in this for the notoriety, the influence, the, you guys know this about me. I've just loved people and I loved Ivan deeply. And you know, I went to Norma's grief stricken and I, I didn't realize that actually there was a construction process and they had removed all the seating, which means that Ivan and I would have not been able to go back to Norma's because that season was over. And then all of a sudden I started thinking about V1 Church when we built this building out in the construction phrase, phase, I remember saying, we have to have a booth in the back. We have to have a table because this church will always be, yes, large gatherings, but we will always have a table for conversations. We'll always have a table because Jesus always had a table. And so Saturday night, my pastors helped we installed a plaque in the back in honor of the legacy of Ivan Marty to say that he is still bringing people to God's table. Instead of it being Norma's, it's here in our house now, and that legacy continues. And I can tell you what, in the last week, Ivan has learned more about the things of God than the entirety of my lifetime searching the word. Because what I see thinly through a glass pale, he sees and he beholds with his own eyes. And so I'm here to encourage you that there's a cost for discipleship. When you get to the end of your life, you will not be so concerned about how nice your car is. You will not be so concerned about how big your car, your house is. You will not be so concerned with the material you will be asking yourself, what did my life matter? And when I was at the funeral yesterday and looked at all the young men and young women that he had brought to Jesus, I know that Ivan's life mattered. When I look at this church and I think, Ivan, those singles that you gave instead of bagels, we turned it into a place where people can experience God's presence. Every financial seed, every single time you sowed, when we had the mass deliverance, he brought brought his wife and said, Charlene, we are getting delivered. And I believe that Ivan died completely free. I believe he died empty, empty of every word. He finished his race. He crossed the mark. He did well. He did well. He did well. Come on, stay on your feet. The last thing Ivan asked me, and then we're gonna close this service, is the very last question he asked me biblically, is he said, when disciples are being made, it's because seeds are being sown. And he said, the Bible says that some seeds bring back just a tenfold return, and some bring back a hundredfold return. And he said, Pastor Mike, I want, and this is the last question he asked me as I was discipling him. How do I become a 100-fold soil? and a 100-fold seed. Can I just tell you, I'm looking around this room, Ivan did it. He multiplied his life because he believed 
He believed in the local church. He believed in V1. He believed in what we're doing. And I believe that more of you are gonna be in passion. Yeah, we've got programs. Yes, we've got all different ways to disciple you. We'll, we'll, we're gonna mail a brochure to your house to show you how to do it. But if you don't love God and you don't love people, you'll miss the whole thing. And at this church, if you're new and you're like, why do they worship so loudly? Why are they so passionate? Because he first loved us while we were yet in sin, while we were lost. Some of us come from families that didn't know God. Why do we know him? Why did we get a revelation of him that they never got? Because he so loved us. At that church, why do they praise? Why do they shout? Because we know God loves us, but we love other people with that love. So what's the true cost of discipleship? I'm gonna tell you like this. We pray when we don't feel like praying. We pray when we don't feel like praying. We fast although we're hungry. We give although we are in need. We gather although we've been wounded and we lay our lives down like Jesus Christ and more disciples are multiplied through our sacrifice. Every hand lifted. Come on, let's just begin to enter and take 25 seconds right now with me. Father, I pray over this church Lord, I pray over every single person represented right now as a sign of surrender. God, as I see their hands lifted, even those who are watching on the broadcast in homes, I think about the trunk of a tree and its branches spreading out and every arm is like a branch. We are oaks of righteousness. We are oaks of righteousness. Let our roots go down. God, we're not escaping a pastor. We're not escaping commitment. We're not escaping sacrifice anymore. We want to be true disciples now. We're not gonna belong to every church. We're gonna belong to the church you've called us to go to. We're gonna to put our roots down and we're going to give and serve and sacrifice until our lives are multiplied like you did with Ivan. If you want to receive that, come on somebody just shout, that's me. Come on, say do it Lord. Use my life. I want to be discipled. Thank you Jesus. Multiply my life. In your name I pray. Come on, somebody shout amen. Come on, let's celebrate. Come on, lift up your voices. Let's You're celebrate. Still. You're still God. You're still my first love.